Hi, everyone. Uh, just a quick note at the top of the podcast here. One, to let you know that this Saturday, December 14th, is going to be our Patreon launch day. Um, if you have not heard about this before, we have started a Patreon. You can find out more at patreon.com slash legendofportalcast. Um, in there, uh, we've got some really cool perks, some cool tiers, and on Patreon Day, we're going to be doing a live stream at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be doing a watch-along of an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. So we would love for you to be able to join us. Um, on top of that, if you join our Patreon, if you become a patron before 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, December 14th, you will be entered to win an Avatar prize pack. We've put together a prize pack that has two pins from Zen Monkey Studios. We've got an Appa Funko. We've got one of the Four Nation shirts uh, the, from Box Lunch. So they have Air Nomads, uh, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, Water Tribe. Depending on which one you like, we will be sending that. And an Avatar The Last Airbender tote. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, if you have any questions, visit us on Instagram or on our website to learn more. And uh, thank you all so much. And on to Rise of Kyoshi. Let's get to it. Uh, welcome back to Beyond Portalcast, a collaboration between the Legend of Portalcast and Beyond Bending. I'm Colin, the host of Legend of Portalcast, and with me, I have Marilyn. Hello. Hi, I'm Marilyn. <laughs> uh, so again, this is our kind of uh, joint venture discussing chapter by chapter of The Rise of Kiyoshi by FCE. Um, and now we are moving on to the third chapter this week. Before we kind of get into that, uh, just again, Marilyn, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and uh, where folks can find you? You can find Beyond Bending Podcasts on all the social medias, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Podcast. We even have a website, beyondbending.com. Go ahead and check us out. For those uh, who have not read this book, um, make sure to read the book because this is full of spoilers. We discuss this chapter by chapter, but we may be pulling details from the book as a whole. So uh, yeah, if you haven't read the book, go read it. It's been out for a while now. Full on spoilers. <laughs> We're going to be talking about these chapters as if you're at the book with us. All right. So this week, uh, as we kind of said last week, uh, we're going to be switching uh, off and on with who is going to be kind of leading the discussion. And this week, uh, Marilyn is going to be leading us through uh, this third chapter. So I'm going to turn the reins over to her and uh, let's get into this. All right. Oh, my God. Colin, this chapter. Uh, OK, so <laughs> <laughs> so the chapter we're going to be covering today is chapter three, the boy from Makapa. Is it Makapu? Makapu? I feel like maybe Makapu, because like if it was Makapu, there would be an H at the end. But then again, I can't say for certain. <laughs> All right, let's go with Makapu. All right. I think I might try messaging <laughs> FCU later, which is a long shot, but I don't know. I feel like there's so many words and names in here where like if he ever listens to our episodes he'll probably get so offended that we're <laughs> pronouncing everything wrong which i don't want to do so <laughs> well i mean at the same time a lot of these are like new names and like avatar is like such a blend of different cultures that i don't know i mean it's it's words on a page so i feel like you know there are like regular words in english that i feel like i mispronounce you know those words where you're just like you think it sounds a particular way then someone is just like oh and then they say the word and you're just like is that really how you say it i feel so <laughs> embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> probably in the next book he's gonna write it into the dialogue because that's what jk rowling did like in the fourth harry potter book um she wrote it in that i think her mining corrected Victor Crumb on how to say her name because no one in the world like knew how to pronounce Hermione because the movies haven't been made yet. Yeah, I always read it as Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so FCE is probably going to do that in the sequel for for the next Kyoshi book. I want FCE to do a full-on like J.R. Tolkien appendix at the end of the second book <laughs> that digs into all of this stuff. That's what I want, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so in the first chapter, we got Jianzu's perspective. Uh, the second chapter, it was Kiyoshi. And in this chapter, it's Yoon. So we cut back to the middle of chapter two where Yoon saved the pickle jar from crashing in front of Kiyoshi and Rangi. He tells us that he didn't really know what they were saying from far away, but when he was like earthbending texting them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was just guessing based on their body language, and he started to crack up when he saw that Rangi was just like laying everything out on Kiyoshi, just like yelling at her. <laughs> <laughs> He jumps down from the rooftop, like very Aladdin style, like very suave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and lands right in front of Heyran. And this is when we just start learning everything about Heyran. And I think it's Heyran. Like I'm playing off of Hey Bai and how it's like written like that. Um, and so, yeah, we get to learn all about Heyran and how she used to be the former headmistress of the Royal Fire Academy for Girls, how she's really super hard on Yoon when Rangi's not looking, and how she's his firebending master. She scolds him for slacking off, and Yoon corrects her and says that he finished doing his 500 hot squats early. And what in the barnacle is a hot squat, Colin? <laughs> I, I think it's because there's at one point where I think it's the firebending masters or the Western air temple. When Zuko is teaching Aang uh, how to do firebending, he makes Aang do the hot squats because I like <laughs> I remember there's one point where Aang is just like one hot squat, two hot squat, three hot squat. <laughs> so it's basically it's basically like a, a squat, I think, with your arms out. And it's just, I think, a way of just I don't know. <laughs> avatar era calisthenics <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyways heyran continues to scold him and says it's no wonder you can't generate flame yet you can train your body as much as you wish but your mind remains weak Oof. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so just from this little snippet there's just so much to talk about i'm gonna cut off this recap right here even though like it kind of doesn't seem that much to a listener that's never read the books there's a lot there's a lot to talk about here yeah so th this part too well one i want to point out one of like <laughs> my favorite lines again there's just like there's so much from both rangi and uh heyran there's so much shade from them and i love that like heyran's opening line is when the spirits ask for a circus clown to intervene on their behalf i'll know our time together has paid off oh, <laughs> She's ruthless. oh man it's just like i don't know it's it's super interesting because we again are seeing this from like yoon's perspective and how harsh uh, someone like heyran is towards him but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's it's trying to parse through like what is their perspective and what's kind of the truth uh, behind it. And that's what I love about this chapter is that we kind of start with one perspective and it's slowly kind of chiseling away at the canvas until we kind of get what is really like happening with Yoon's training throughout all of this. Yeah. And then you get a sense of um, like we go more into it later in this chapter, but even even him just like hanging out on rooftop and helping his friends out from far away even though like Heyran doesn't know he was helping out Kiyoshi and her daughter like he can't rest at all like there's always people surrounding him that like expect him to be constantly active constantly doing something avatar related and I don't know like the avatar as a political figure I wanted to dive into because this book gets so political mm. it makes the star Wars prequels look even worse than they already are like <laughs> they need to take a page out of like fce because he just like makes politics really fascinating in this book 
there's like kids and teenagers reading this that you know like get sucked into the story and mm. most of the story in rise of kiyoshi is about politics and i just think that's like so interesting mm, definitely oh i also wanted to talk about um like our last episode you asked what my first impression of rangi is my first impression of heyran was like way more intense i was like oh my god I could see where Rangi gets most of her personality from. Because Heiran is, what is it? She was the headmistress of the Fire Academy, mm -hmm. which is like, what, the equivalent of um, like a dean at a private school? Like, oh my gosh. Just like the standards and the discipline and all of that. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> like there, yeah, there is no room to even remotely slack off well i think a lot of it too is that you know we were able to get at least a glimpse into the educational system in avatar when ang goes in for the headband uh, episode two of, of book three and he like joins that fire nation school and immediately i think of like the teacher in like that one class that they're sitting in and she's just like everybody open your textbooks and now we will discuss how the uh, air nomad army fought uh, fire lord sozin like during that point and Aang's just like, uh, the Euros didn't have an army. I don't know how you can know more about our nation's history books. <laughs> and it's just like that fierceness and that just intensity, I think. And then also the, the guy that uh, Sokka and Katara have to deal with as Sapphire Fire and Wang Fire. <laughs> and I mean, like, he's just like, if he misbehaves, we're going to basically send him to the coal mines <laughs> to like <laughs> basically improve his attitude on things. And it just, it feels like even though the Fire Nation was, you know, a, a little bit more of an oppressive society it, during like Ozai's reign and during like the times of the Hundred Year War, I think there is just this tradition of intensity that you know is very very much a part of fire nation culture and i think like heron is exactly the example of that she is intense she has no time for wasting time and, and i think a lot of it too is that she feels a monumental sense of pressure and we'll kind of get into this as the chapter proceeds as to where that motivation is coming from for her to want to train yun as intensely as she does yeah definitely so Yoon goes into the fire fist stance and Heiran observes him in like a very cinematic way by like circling him and then she starts monologuing, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> yes. And then I love how there's like an internal Yoon and then there's like an external Yoon in this chapter because mm. like most of what we learn is what Yoon is telling us like in his mind, like stuff he can't say out loud. And so internal Yoon tells us that like, oh God, she's lecturing again. Like she loves lecturing when he's like doing this stance. She tells him that his attitude towards training is way more important than the results. And internal Yoon's like, that's oh, fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he suspects that since Heyran can't really critique him on his form and technique, because he's just like, fucking amazing and his ego in his mind is just like through the roof it's like oh my gosh i was just gonna say i love that line where it says like when he gets into the stance it says like she frowned at him interpreting his perfection as an act of defiance <laughs> it's just like he's so good at it and it's just like her just being like oh god you're so fucking good at this already <laughs> it's just like yeah. oh man you little shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, since Heyran can't really critique him on his form and technique, she decided to critique his mental state instead. She says he's not the first avatar to make it by with just sheer talent, and that he's also not the only one who wanted to take it easy. And right after she says this, Yoon messes up and, like, almost falls over. And he's <laughs> fucking pissed. Internal Yoon is like, take it easy? Are you fucking kidding me? And he, I love how he just starts venting to us about how committed he is as the avatar he he just starts talking about how he's memorized all of 
Avatar Yang Chin's career, like all her political moves, all the names of the Earth Kingdom officials, like going back centuries. And he's also memorized the sacred sites of the Air Nomads to the point where even Kelsing's like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks that Heyran thinks that he slacks off when no one's looking. But he tells us, like, no, when no one's looking, I'm still doing shit. <laughs> he wanted to make up for being discovered so late because he felt really bad because, like, they were, like, what, searching for the Avatar for seven years. Mm -hmm. And so he put that on him. He wanted to thank Jianzu and everyone for basically giving him a life's purpose. And um, it's not in this chapter, but in later chapters, we get more of Yoon's backstory of where he came from and how he was discovered, and just him, like, really wanting to prove himself and confiding in us, the readers, like, how dedicated he is as the Avatar. And Heyran knows this. Like, Yoon suspects that she's just, like, saying all of this just to get a rise out of him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, he goes from venting and, like, having this you know just really like big frustration about the whole situation but then i really love that we get like as um like you turn the page to 28 and then like the first thing it says is she knows that he thought heyran was purposely goading him by calling him lazy but an uncontrollable fury rose in his stomach anyway. And I think that that's, that is such an insight into Yoon as a character. And I think like, it's also how Jianzu and Kelsang uh, have really molded him into this kind of political figure. And it's also a testament to his Pai Show playing is that he isn't just like seeing things from a singular direction. He could very easily just say like, why is she being like this? She's just being mean. This is stupid. He vents. But then he's like, okay, there's a reason. But he's like, I'm still pissed about it, though. And I think it's such a great way to show that, one, he's still a kid. And two, he still has the maturity enough to be able to say, like, I understand the different perspective um, and understand where she is coming from. Because I think, like, if you're that age, it's very easy to just, like, turn mentors or, like, teachers who are tough on you into just these, like, villains who you just hate because they're just being mean to you even though there's usually a reason for it and it's i feel like it's something that you really don't see or be able to see that perspective of until you're until you're older so i think it's really cool to see him have that additional perspective on that yeah he is so mad that he pounds the floor of the mansion, <laughs> stands up, and punches out a huge flame that he, like, in his mind, he's like, the Fire Lord would be proud. <laughs> and this flame is entirely made of earth. Heyran looks at him like she's about to slap him and says this out loud, like, if we were in the good old days, I would definitely slap you. And Yoon's like, well, I'm glad the times have changed. <laughs> Yeah, it's like in the old days, Master used, used to maim their students for insubordination. <laughs> <laughs> and then we hear Jianzu clapping off screen and Yoon's like, fuck. Because <laughs> normally he's able to sense when Jianzu's coming and like kind of put on a face. But today he was off his game. And then Jianzu just pretended like he didn't see anything and asks Yoon to follow him. And end of recap. <laughs> yes <laughs> i know it, it's it's really interesting too because we really get that glimpse into yoon's perspective here and like i love how he has such a control over the earth that like he can just ironically make quote-unquote fire out of like pieces of marble just to prove <laughs> a point of just being like oh you want fire here's fire and it's just like uh and it's so great, too, because we kind of get a taste of how incredible of an earthbender he is, like just through Kiyoshi's eyes and how he was like able to control that pickle jar from far away, how he's able to like earthbend text. And now he's able to create like this insane earthbending flame. And uh, oh, there's like two components to this one, just this absolute control of every dust particle that he spouted from the earth and also just like the scientific 
form of the flame itself. Like, you know this guy. And, like, after hearing him vent about how dedicated he is as the Avatar, I can just imagine him kind of, like, daydreaming and obsessing over that day that he, like, finally is able to firebend and what it'll look like. And you see him, like, all of the days fixating on this idea and picturing this idealized perfect flame that he wants to show everyone and like in a way he does like he shows it but in earthbending form and even that's not like impressive enough to please Heyran and it's so tragic because we know mm. like uh the dramatic irony of this whole chapter is so painful Colin I like I was just cringing in my seat while I was recapping this because it's uh it's so heartbreaking yeah, because we know at the end of the day that he is not the Avatar and Kyoshi is. And it's just like he wants more than anything to be able to prove that and to be able to show that he can do this. But we know that he's not going to be able to. And hearing more and more about like the way that, you know, Jianzu has, uh, as we'll kind of see, just like the way that they've groomed him to be this like you know this figure on the world stage and just knowing that it's like oh man like they have no idea they really don't know who the true avatar is and i think it it really gets into the core of one of the best parts about this book as a whole is that this idea of like what if there was a mistake as to who they thought the avatar was and I think that it's such a unique story but it's one that makes perfect sense in this world you know, it just hasn't been explored because with everything we know about Aang, Roku, and Korra, they were recognized as the avatars very early on. And it was it was just like, that's who it is. That's the trajectory. We know what it is. They had their own unique paths. But at the same time, it's like, what does happen when they mess it up? And it isn't who they think it is. And just, it's such a great premise. And by seeing Yoon's perspective and you get his hopes and dreams, it really provides this amazing, like emotional note for them to tap into as the story progresses, because we care about Yoon. Kyoshi cares about Yoon. And to know that that bandaid has got to be ripped off at some point, you're just waiting for it to happen. <sighs> <laughs> It's going to be a lot of size yeah. in this episode. <laughs> uh, I keep, okay, I keep wanting to call it episode. When I was recapping, I kept wanting to call the mansion castle. It's like, oh, they left the castle to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, it's not a castle. <laughs> so we get one of those, uh, another one of those like cool uh, brush strokes here on the page to kind of give us a little bit of a time jump again. I love it. <laughs> Gianta leads Yoon to a room somewhere in the training grounds, where they can drink their tea. He grabs a twig, because there's just like dust everywhere. He grabs a twig and starts drawing a pie show board in front of them. He tells Yoon that there's news. Tagaka, queen of the Fifth Nation Pirates, wants to sign a treaty. In the treaty, they promise to stop raiding the coastlines near the Eastern Air Temple in exchange for timber on Yeso Island. But Yoon's skeptical, because he's like... Um, these pirates have been unofficially taking timber from Yeso Island anyways. If anything, they're just pushing the violence from one corner of the world to another. And Jianzu's like, well, what would you do then? As Yoon stares at the empty pie show board, we get a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Yoon tells us that contrary to popular belief, and I love how he corrects me because I think the last episode I was like, oh, yeah, you never leaves the castle. It's like, nope, you <laughs> leaves the castle, you dumb Marilyn. And I'm like, oh, all right, fine. <laughs> and so um, contrary to popular belief, he does leave the mansion from time to time. And Jianzu and Kelsang have been uh, flying them on Peng Peng. Uh, Kelsang Sky Bison. Oh, such a cute name. <laughs> <laughs> All over the world to meet with politicians, explore and learn the other nation's cultures, and sometimes even have fun. But the last trip was really intense. There was like a case that brought them to an Earth Kingdom town where everyone just suddenly vanished. 
like thousands of people just snatched out of nowhere like even the food was like still warm to some extent like everyone just disappeared there were no signs of a struggle and the only things that were missing were like their security measurements like bells and gongs and drums yoon tells us that they probably stole like the security measurements just so people couldn't alert which i got confused about like people couldn't alert the townsfolk when they were back yoon puts his tea down and makes a proposal to jianzu that they should gladly accept the treaty because it's the only way to save the captives and that this treaty will buy them time to prepare the coastlines for an attack he predicts that tagaka will get really cocky and strike the fire nation next and when he tells Jianzu this, he expected him to argue back. But Jianzu just like has the biggest grin on his face. And he's like, oh, and this is when it breaks my heart. He's like, see, this is why you're going to be a great avatar. You're everything Kurok was not. And I couldn't be prouder. Oh, mm. oh man. <laughs> Yun's like, great. This means I'll be unhappy, but live forever. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's so much to unpack with this flashback too um and again i think it's this it's really interesting to see such a dark scene again in something with the world of avatar we're talking about a mass abduction and it's a great way to illustrate kind of the power and terror of this like fifth nation pirate fleet which again like this is crazy that there is like a contingency of pirates that have basically made themselves into a fifth nation and how horrifying that is i, I don't know it's just it's really interesting because you think about like our own world in during the times of like 1600s to 1800s and the roles of pirates during those times and how it was this massive problem that like all the different, you know, empires and societies of the world had to grapple with because like traveling on the open seas was not safe or living on coasts was not always safe because you could just have pirates show up and just like pillage the land and take people and just do all kinds of horrific things. And there's just something so haunting and chilling about that image that he paints of going to this town there's no signs of struggle everyone is gone and it just it, it raises a lot of questions too where it's like why didn't these people fight back and what was it that they were able to do that like made this happen so cleanly and done so effectively and all it says to you is like whatever they did they did it really well and they are someone to be taken very seriously and they never explain it later, too. Like, Tagaka, like, she doesn't do, like, one of those evil monologues where she's like, oh, this was my plan all along. Like, just, like, gloating. Like, she never dives into how she kidnapped them. She just did. And in the later chapters, when they do meet up to sign the treaty, it's like a form of slavery, right? Like, those thousands of people that they kidnapped... I could just imagine they're just doing these pirates bidding. What's your theory on what happened in that village? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say they put a knife to everyone's throat and was like, you need to move. Like, stay quiet and move or else there will be bloodshed. This is how I picture it. Like, they all simultaneously did it. Like, there would be someone at every corner... And then I don't know how they did it because they don't have walkie-talkies or anything, but someone sent a signal that was like, all right, go, and ambushed everyone. Like, maybe all of the officials. Like, um, oh, oh, it reminds me of that one scene where, was it like the Dai Li took out those earthbending governors? Oh, the generals. Yeah. Oh, where they're like all hidden in the different places and everything? Yeah. Mm. So I just imagine that, but in like a very large scale and all at the same time. And Tagaka giving the order. I think that tracks because, I mean, what we see later uh, during the treaty signing, like the way that they're like hidden in the ice um, for that ambush, I think that they are like very sneaky. And I think that that's what pirates do best. 
I think pirates are like like even what we've seen traditionally in Avatar is like you know they they like sneaking around and doing crafty things and like I mean when the pirates in Avatar capture Aang it's like they surprise them by throwing nets on them or when they're like putting the blasting jelly in the ship to like blow up Zuko's ship like they I think get around in ways that like as a bender, I think you can be a little bit more open and like braggadocious almost because you have your bending to fall back on. But these pirates are like, all we have are our wiles and our tricks. But Tagaka is the example too, where she is also a waterbender. And I think that that's what's also really interesting is that we have pirates here that are benders. And the pirates that we always saw in the show were specifically non-benders. And I think that's what makes them even scarier. I would agree with your theory, but I'm going to add an additional layer to it. I don't know if this <laughs> is too much of a stretch, but I think the idea of like instilling fear into the rest of the populace so that they leave quietly is definitely something that they would do. However, I have a feeling that Tagaka might be a bloodbender and that <gasps> that was like the way that she was able to do that, which would track because... I mean, there was no full moon when they did the treaty and we haven't seen her enough down the road to know that maybe, you know, because we're not to the point of like Amon and Tarlock where they can do it without the moon. So maybe it was something where it was a full moon and she was able to do this. Who knows? But I just think that that would be what a better way to like put the just absolute fear and terror into people then showing you like manipulating someone's very frame. And it's just like, this can happen to you if you don't get on this ship. (laughs) It's just like, leave now. (laughs) Uh, I'm just imagining like a horror movie in my head. Oh, evil waterbenders, man. Yeah, for real. Evil waterbenders. (laughs) We got like, we got a whole show on evil firebenders. And then there were like a couple seasons in Korra, right? Where we got, we got a taste of evil waterbenders. And then we got an evil airbender in season three of Korra. And, you know, I think we've had like, and then season four was an evil earthbender. So, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, back to the chapter. Yoon can see that Heyran is waiting for them in the courtyard like a statue. And he's like, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> and Jian's is like, oh, come on. Try to be more understanding. She left her commission at the Fire Navy to train Kurok. She left her position as headmistress at the Fire Academy to train you. She gave up a lot to train the Avatar. And Yoon's like, ugh, great. Even more reason to hate my guts. (laughs) (laughs) And Jianzu responds with, She loves you as much as I do. A little too much, perhaps. Oh, oh no. I love the beginning of that line, too, where he's like, Fire Nation mothers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, I wanted to write somewhere in the recap, like, oof, tiger mom. But... (laughs) But that phrase in general is, like, very problematic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I even, like, Googled it, and Google was like, oh, yeah, it's like a stereotype with Asians, and then the equivalent for Americans is, like, the mom that is, like, hell-bent on making her child um, an actor or actress in Hollywood, and I was like, oh, that's so true. Mm. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, too, because we we talked about that when we were doing our deep dive of uh, The Promise the graphic novel that follows um, Avatar The Last Airbender because um, Jean Luen Yang talks about this whole idea of like when the whole Tiger Mom controversy started to rise and how there's this kind of connection between the way that he writes Toph in that story um, Mm -hmm. and the way that she like kind of treats some of her students and the way that Toph was treated as a kid and like exploring kind of like a lot of those elements, but then also recognizing kind of the problematic side of it, but meeting it kind of head on in that way. But yeah, I don't know. Heyron definitely seems like, you know, she cares a lot, but it's just like, I think it's more of this sense of like, it's that desire for excellence in the way that we have always seen with firebenders like we see that i think epitomized most clearly in azula that it's just like one hair out of place is not good enough yeah as they are walking back to heron 
Jianzu reassures Yun that everybody loves him, even Mother Earth loves him. And Yun's like, um, where are you going with this? Uh, <laughs> Jianzu tells Yun that firebending is different from the other elements because you don't form a bond with the element in your surroundings. Instead, you generate it from within. And he tells Yoon, um, and I like how he, like, looks at Heyran to, like, see if he's right. And Heyran looks at him like, no fucking shit. Like, that's, like, basic <laughs> fire 101. <laughs> Gianza tells Yoon to take off his shoes and says that maybe you needs to be isolated from the earth so that he can focus on his fire within after all, Tagaka wants to sign the treaty on her turf, and you needs to be ready for anything, and not have to rely on the other elements. Yoon's like, wait, are you gonna burn my feet? Oof. And Jans is like, no, nothing so crude. Oof. I'm gonna do... <laughs> I'm going to do this instead. And he earthbends like these inch high spikes and just like covers the whole floor with these spikes. Yoon's like, are you, are you serious right now? And um, Heyron has to look away. This is when I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> and Jianzu is as cool as a cucumber and tells Yoon that he can start training whenever he's ready. And Yoon is just holding back tears like poor guy oh my god mm. it's such a great foreshadowing glimpse of kind of this darker side of Jianzu. um the at all costs and no matter the pain that has to get there to like achieve goals i think it's such a great way to show that because you know on one end you're like you're sensing the frustration of like him not being able to you know bend the other elements and the frustration from Heron and uh, from Jianzu. But then they're just like, but it's like Jianzu taking it to extremes to try to make this happen. But I would argue it's very much an earthbender thing to do. Cause shall we remember during Aang's training with Toph that she's like, all right, <laughs> I need you to stand here and I'm going to roll a boulder down towards you while you are blindfolded. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, it's not tiny little spikes, which is like pretty like, I think it's just it's it's brutal in a different way. But I mean, like rolling a massive boulder towards someone that could easily just crush and kill them is also a pretty intense way to try to get somebody to learn earthbending. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I feel like Yoon has to fight every inch of his being to like actually step on these things because i could just imagine like he's such a powerful earthbender i feel like naturally if his feet even go close to these spikes he would flatten it but since he's in front of jianzu and this guy he just wants to impress jianzu so badly he's willing to step on these spikes to the point where like his feet are just bleeding just to make him happy and it's just like it just shows like the dedication that he talked about in this chapter like the dedication of being the avatar of pleasing jianzu of pleasing everybody mm. and uh it's just so heartbreaking well i think a lot of it too is this mythic image that jianzu has crafted the avatar to be and how he has told yun that that is what he needs to be and I think that it's one of those things where it's just like, if you are constantly being told that you are the chosen one, that you are someone who can, you know, solve so many of the world's problems, that you are the solution to be able to maintain peace and be able to broker treaties between warring nations. It's like when you are showing that and you are telling someone that they are the one to be able to do that. I think that like you would find yourself in a position where you're like, okay, like, yeah, you know, I will do this. But again, that dramatic irony makes this scene so much more painful for us as the readers, because we know at the end of the day that Yoon is not going to be the avatar, that all of this pain and suffering that he is about to go through is pointless. It's just yeah. so tragic. And he wants to maintain this facade too, like this facade of, the avatar as this really holy figure 
that is beyond, like, at one point he's like, I can't even be human around anyone. He even makes a comment about why Heyran doesn't really um, scold him in front of Rangi because Rangi just looks at him with, like, quote-unquote, worshipful eyes. And that's just so... It's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just it's it really is setting um, just a it's such a unique perspective of what it means to be the avatar. And I think that what's so cool about this story is that, you know, in Avatar, the last airbender. So it's from Aang's perspective as a nonviolent air nomad who doesn't wish to hurt anybody living in a world where he needs to be able to fight and how that is complicated to Korra living in a world where she wants to fight, but it's the spiritual side that she needs to be able to tap into and this diplomatic side that she needs to be able to tap into to help navigate such a turbulent time in Republic City and the greater world. And now with Kiyoshi or with Yoon in this case, he needs to be able to navigate that diplomatic world. He's been trained in all of this, but now he needs the powers. He needs to be able to do the bending that he needs to do to be able to show that. And by having that block, how that weighs on your ego and then how uh, you know all of these people are like looking at you like you're this otherworldly being. It, you know, for a kid who grew up on the streets that we learn, it's like, what does that do to someone's personality and how they see those around them? and how they interact with the world. And it's just, it's such a fascinating perspective for them to tap into. I feel like I'm such a geek. Like I love the politics in Rise of Kyoshi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like in seeing Yoon as like this, you know, well, Jianzu, you know, really kind of grooming him as this political figure. And, you know, knowing from experience what happens when the Avatar is not involved. And I think that that's always like, you know, the interesting part about Jianzu as a character Kelsang and Heron as well is that you know they saw what happened with Kurik. They saw what happened when someone did not care nearly as much and they were focused more on, you know, their own pleasures and their own experiences and not for kind of the benefit of the greater good or for just society as a whole. So that's why it's like there's so much pressure of being like, you know, we saw what happened when this was not utilized and now we have a chance to be able to mold them in a way that we know will be effective. But that is dangerous because even though there's good intentions, you are forcing a bias and a way of doing things in the world onto an individual that they may not agree with um, and that they may not like, it doesn't give them a chance to like form their own opinions in a way. Um, so it's like, it's it's interesting to see like Jianzu and the rest of them try to do this with Yoon and the role that he is going to kind of play, especially for something as big as this treaty with Tagaka. I mean, you know, here we are, like this is a treaty that was signed by Tagaka's great-grandfather during the time of Avatar Yang Chen, so two avatars previous. And now it's like he's inheriting this massive responsibility and knowing that he is going to need to perform in a way that you know, the world is going to expect him to. And it's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight being thrust upon his shoulders. Yeah. And I like how Yoon is complaining about the burden that Avatar Kurok left behind. And like when it gets to Kyoshi, when Kyoshi finds out that she's the Avatar and she has to carry that burden that Avatar Kurok left behind, it's just so funny because it's like, Every insight that we get with Avatar Kurok is not positive. Like, yeah, he's a funny guy and he was like really great with bending. He's really great at Pai Show. He's really great at doing all of these things, but it never really manifested into actual action, mm. like being involved in politics or just being active as a politician. Like he was passive. He was indifferent. But and I, I think... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say that he was also reaping the benefits of Avatar Yang Chen's hard work to sow the seeds of peace. So much of what Yang Chen was able to accomplish was, you know, bringing a lot of this violence to an end and 
we even heard that from the original series when we hear like Avatar Kurok's like kind of, you know, short background when he's talking to Aang. It's like, you know, the world was at peace when I was the Avatar. There wasn't really a lot to be done. And it's this idea of like, you know, just because you inherit a world of peace does not mean you can't remain vigilant. But I think it's also the trap um, because it's like it gives, you know, if you don't have an avatar that's vigilant, you can have these kind of forces start to creep in in a way that, you know, can take advantage of that of that time. And I think that that's what Jianzu and Heron and Kelsang are most worried about because they saw that like Kirk didn't take this opportunity, but now they're like, if we don't do something, then this is going to end even worse. And we need to be able to like make sure that it doesn't. Yeah. It's kind of like the calm before the storm. And one of my favorite quotes from Harry Potter is from Dumbledore. And he's telling Harry that like one of the most dangerous things is indifference. Like showing outright dislike is way better than being indifferent. Indifference is one of the most harmful things you can ever do. And oh, I just can't agree more to that statement. Like it, I definitely apply it to real life when I try to get people motivated to, um, to be involved in politics, you know, sorry to digress, but, but just like the women's march and it was hard to explain to people why I went to a woman's march and to justify why people need to participate in the women's march why there should be one in general and like telling this to a woman and being like hey we don't have the woman equality you think we do and just breaking this reality to some people is hard because like they do want to live in this kind of idealized world where there is equality where there is peace and everything's fine. Like, it may seem fine on the outside, and that's what Avatar Kuruk saw, but that's not the case. Like, that's not reality. And even after the rise of Kyoshi, I still don't like Avatar Kuruk. <laughs> like, uh, we're not there yet, but... But yeah, I don't know. Avatar Kuruk is not... Um, it's not a good dude. <laughs> He's not looking good, no. <laughs> so, so what were what were just kind of like your overall thoughts on this chapter uh, to kind of like close things out? I do love how Yoon, like <laughs> this was like really, really side note, but he was telling us how he has like the hots for Ringi, but also simultaneously is turned <laughs> off because he look because Ringi looks exactly like her mom. And I was like dying. I was like, oh my God, this guy. <laughs> I, like, oh, I have this crush on this person, but like their mom who like beats the shit out of me during training is like, <laughs> there. It's like, I don't know. I've got a lot of mixed emotions about going on here. Oh, that was so funny. That was so good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a great example of, um, you know, the use of this medium of the novel because we get to see a, a different perspective, this time from Yoon. Yeah. Um, we get to see what it's like for him to believe that he is the Avatar, the pressures that he, uh, you know, is experiencing, the expectations that he has to fulfill, um, and, you know, just how he kind of views himself as an Avatar and, like, kind of the uh the, the desire for him to be able to have this like kind of you know times to be laid back and to feel appreciated when all he is getting is you know especially from Heron this like intense scrutiny and wanting to be able to like hey I am putting in the work I am putting in the time don't act like I'm being lazy and Again, the dramatic irony of it all. It's such a good chapter in that way because we know that at the end of the day, he's not the Avatar. And so much of what he is going through is it's needless suffering. Ah. Ugh. <laughs> and we get a little bit more of the politics in the world of the rise of Kyoshi. And it is juicy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's only just going to keep getting better, too. Um, oh man yeah. i am such a geek i love politics <laughs> <laughs>
If you don't like politics now, I will convince you to care about politics because it's it's so dramatic. It's like all of the movies you watch, like the drama genre of movies and TV shows in general, but politics version. <laughs> and on top of that, like Avatar politics version, it just, oh my gosh, like, like what was, what was George Lucas thinking? Like I... Like, everyone complains about the politics in the Star Wars prequels. Like, they could have definitely made it more entertaining. Because politics is entertaining. You just got to do it right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that concludes our uh, discussion of uh, Chapter 3, The Boy from Makapu. And... Uh, the third chapter in our Rise of Kiyoshi Beyond Portalcast series. Um, so, Marilyn, can you first tell everybody where they can find you and more about your podcast? Uh, you can find Beyond Bending Podcast on all your social media, Spotify, iTunes, even our episodes are on the website, beyondbending.com. Where can people find you, Colin? Uh, you can find us at Legend of Portalcast on Facebook and Instagram, and then Portalcast Pod on Twitter. Um, and of course, at our website at legendofportalcast.com. Um, and also, if you are interested in kind of following these episodes um, as a whole, because eventually we're going to be bouncing back and forth between our two podcasts with uh, publishing these. But if you want a central location to be able to uh, listen in on these, we are publishing these all to our YouTube page that is kind of dedicated for this kind of Beyond Portalcast uh little venture that we're doing. Um, so be sure to find us on there, subscribe and hit the notification bell uh, to uh, let you know when a new episode drops and for you to be able to listen in. All right. Well, until next time, friends, let us leave. Flamey oh, hot stuff. Hotman. 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 Hot squats. <laughs> hot squats. <laughs> hot squats. One hot squat. <laughs> Two hot squats. Three hot squats. Ah, ah, ah. Ha, ha, ha.